Hi, I'm Bob Witte with KPND in Sandpoint, Idaho. If I can be a fan of Skylight Books, LA's world-famous independent bookstore, from way up here in the Idaho Panhandle, then you can too from wherever you are. Visit the website, buy some books. You can even join their membership club and reap the benefits of supporting independent booksellers. Thanks. softer side meet me on the softer side softer side of your heart hi there and welcome to the skylight books author reading series you can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online you can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. But uh, I have to say that this evening we are very, very, very excited um, and delighted to have uh, the incomparable Emma Straub. Uh, she's here for her first novel, Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures. Uh, if you haven't gotten a, uh, a raffle ticket, after the reading we'll, we'll do a little check-in and uh, you can get a raffle ticket because her husband has made these original Laura Lamont movie posters, Michael. Um, and... Uh, We'll be raffling off three of those, so make sure you get that. Um, her debut story collection, Other People We Married, was out earlier this year, so this is like a double punch for you this year, which is exciting. Um, and her new book is just exploding onto the scene in an amazing, amazing way. I mean, EW gave it an A-, minus, but I think they actually meant A+. Plus. Yeah, you know. I think that it gets you on the honor roll, though, so that's cool, right? And then uh, she's a fan of vintage clothing. Look at her fabulous dress. Uh, hair tutus. Hello. I really want to try one one day. <laughs> okay, good. I, I think I need to try that. And um, I really love her. I don't know if you follow her on Twitter or on the Tumblr, but I love her Old Flames uh, series on the Tumblr that she does. Um, her fiction and nonfiction have been published in Tin House, Paris Review Daily, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, Time, Slate. And she's also a staff writer for Rookie Magazine, which is an awesome uh, magazine that has YA, uh, you know, sort of love in it. Um, but this evening we are here for Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures. So please welcome Emma Straub. Andrew Littow. Um, hi, everybody. I know so many of you, and it makes me feel so comfortable that I could just start tap dan dancing. Um, I will try not to do that. Um, I want to thank Skylight for having me. Um, I love this bookstore so much. Um, I never come to LA without coming here. It's got a tree. I mean, come on. You can't get better than that. Um, and yeah, I, I want to thank that my, my bando girls for um, hooking me up today with this amazing confection. Okay, so um, I'm going to read just a short section from Laurel Lamont's Life in Pictures. 
what you need to know is that um, Elsa Emerson is from Door County, Wisconsin. Um, it is 1939 about, and she has just moved to Hollywood, California with her husband, Gordon Pitts. Um, they both want to be actors, and Gordon has uh, signed up with a con, has been uh, hired as like a contract player for a studio called Gardner Brothers Studio. Um, and she has just had two children very young. She's only like 19 years old. So I think that's all you need. Um, I will admit to being terrified to read a book about LA to a crowd in LA, but I'm just gonna go with it. After Florence was born, Elsa made herself a promise. She would do just what Irving Green had told her and fast. Gordon bristled at first, but then decided it was better for him to have a wife, wife with a shapely figure and let it go. There were exercise classes at the studio, dance, tap, calisthenics. Elsa dropped the girls off with on-lot childcare and went five times a week at nine. At first, Clara cried when Elsa left the daycare room, accustomed, accustomed as she was to their long days at home together, but after a short while she got used to the women there and the other children and quite enjoyed it. There were blocks to stack and letters of the alphabet to learn. Florence was too small to mind being passed around, only three months old, and cooed happily no matter who was looking after her. Though she loved her daughters enormously, Elsa never felt quite as free as she did the moment after dropping them off and walking out the door. Her arms nearly floated up away from her body, suddenly so unencumbered. That the services were free was the fresh whipped cream and berries on top. Elsa's favorite class was ballet, which was taught by a Frenchman named Guy who wore all black with a scarf knotted tightly around his neck, the silk corners flapping against his collarbones as he demonstrated the movements. Elsa liked to be in the last row, near the corner, corner though the dance studio was lined with mirrors and there was no hiding from the teacher's critical eye. And left toe point, left toe slide, left toe point, left toe slide, Guy said, marching across the room with his eyes trained on one set of slim ankles after another. Elsa checked her work in the mirror. No, she was on the wrong side again. This is a simple rond de jambe, ladies, rond de jambe. Elsa quickly straightened her left leg and drew a circle on the lacquered wooden floor with her pointed toe. The other women in class never seemed to have any problem remembering their rights and lefts. Damn it. Elsa turned her head while trying desperately not to lose Guy's count. She was still fairly new and he'd been kind enough to ignore her pathetic efforts thus far, but Elsa had seen him snap at some of the other women. She didn't want that kind of attention. Elsa didn't harbor any, any illusions about being a good dancer. Busby Berkeley and his legions practiced at a studio that border, bordered Gardner Brothers. Oh, sorry. And Elsa heard that they brought in an entire orchestra for their rehearsals. Elsa just wanted to stay on her feet. Along the back wall, two women over, Elsa saw a redhead struggling even more than she was. The woman had tied her hair up in two pigtails, which flapped against her cheeks like dog ears with every clumsy rond de jambe. She too was on the wrong leg. Elsa smiled, and the woman smiled back and then stuck out her tongue, exhaling extra hard. And now the other side, right toe point, right toe slide, right toe point. Guy walked over to Elsa's side of the room. She watched him approach. 
When she was looking at him, she couldn't look at herself, which somehow made the steps seem closer at hand. She felt her leg lock into place as strong and sturdy as steel. Elsa made eye contact with Guy. See, it's not so hard, and immediately lost her balance, falling clumsily to the floor. He sneered, disgusted, and walked back toward the front of the room. Elsa watched his narrow, perfectly straight back recede into the more talented sector of the class. In the front row, the women hadn't missed a beat. Little Peggy Bates, the chatty girl she'd met at the party, was in the crowd somewhere, hoofing away like a professional, and Dolores D. was in the second row, her buxom frame swaddled in a baby blue leotard. Elsa was mortified. The redhead scooted over, shoving the, le shoving the leggy women between them out of the way and helped Elsa up. I thought he was going to yell at you, she whispered. God, I'm so scared of everyone in this class. I feel like such a bottom feeder. Elsa didn't know quite sh what she meant, but she dusted off her pants and said, Me too. Hey, look, the redhead said, and fell down in exactly the same way Elsa had, with one leg outstretched like a drunken flamingo. Out, out, Guy shouted and pointed toward the door, cursing in French. The 25 other women in the room may have tittered to one another quietly, but not one turned around to watch Elsa and her new friends skulk out the, out the door. It was a room full of actresses, after all, each of them loath to admit that she wasn't the center of attention. Oh, one thing, one other thing that you need to know is that um, at, this, at this party um, recently, Elsa met this uh, producer at Gardner Brothers named Irvin Green, and he, has g he gave her the name Laura Lamont. He told her that she should use it when she was ready. Uh, you need to know for later. Lillian Hedges was her given name, though Gardner had Green had, had already changed it twice. First I was Lillian Fleur, she said, in between bites of a roast beef sandwich at the commissary. Elsa looked about for her husband and was relieved not to find him hovering. She knew better than to look for Irving, who had a private dining room in his office suite and was never seen inside the regular commissary's walls. At the next table, two men were dressed like Civil War soldiers ready to battle with their lunch. That's pretty, Elsa said. She was trying to be on a strict diet, but it was hard when eating with a new friend. Lillian ate like a longshoreman, not caring whether she set bits of food sputtering out from between her teeth. Talking to Lillian made Elsa realize how much she missed talking to her sisters and the easy comfort of another female body so near. Elsa picked at her salad, spearing a single piece of lettuce with her fork. Sure, but it wasn't me, Lillian said. She dabbed at the corners of her mouth with a napkin and then let her shoulders collapse forward. Gosh, do I look like a fleur to you? She let out a great big whoop of a laugh. Several people at adjacent tables turned, but Lillian seemed not to notice. One of the Civil War participants was so startled that he knocked his musket to the ground. So what's the name now? It had been two hours since Elsa dropped, her do dropped off her daughters at the daycare. They would be fine a little longer than usual. If Gordon asked, which he wouldn't, she would just tell him that she'd decided to stay for another dance class. Gordon seemed to have conveniently forgotten that Elsa wanted to act too, that they'd made this journey together, that she wasn't just along to clap at his name on the screen. Elsa folded another lettuce leaf into her mouth. She missed talking to her sisters, even Josephine, who had never had much to say at all. Ginger hedges, she gestured to her hair, because of the red. 
So he does that with everyone? Elsa felt embarrassed. She'd imagined herself special. Surely Irving Green didn't approach every woman he saw with swollen ankles and offer her a new life in Hollywood. Making actors into stars was one thing, but making a pregnant woman into an actor, that was something different. Gardner does, sure, she said, and Elsa felt a swift sense of relief for what she wasn't quite sure. In her imagination, Irving was the harder nut to crack despite not having his name on the side of the building, and she was glad to have his attention all her own for another moment. Lillian, Ginger, had an elastic face and she didn't miss an opportunity to widen her eyes and stretch her cheeks. She leaned forward and cupped a hand around her mouth. Elsa watched as Ginger's white blouse dipped perilously close to her roast beef. You never know who's around here. These publicists will eat your brains if you say too much. Lillian's rubbery face relaxed and Elsa saw that she was older, maybe by as much as 10 years. Lillian was probably already 30, ancient and adult. Really, they can change anything they want to. Oh, Elsa said, unsure of how else to respond. How had Gordon made it through unscathed with a name like Pitts? Maybe it was different for men who could be any number of things, lumpy, foreign, scarred. Women had only two speeds at Gardner Brothers, beautiful and serious or beautiful and funny. Elsa wondered which one she was supposed to be. Probably the latter, as it was easier to fudge the beauty part if you were making people laugh. When they finished eating, Ginger took Elsa on a tour of the back lot, and she understood, at last seeing it in the daylight, why Gordon was always so reluctant to come home. Some of the sets were always up, as though the studio were going to decide on the spot what to shoot that day. A musical, a romance, a western. There were whole city blocks built to look like New York, and anonymous small towns, picket fences and all. There were alleys that led to nowhere, and shops with papier-mâché objects in the windows. The wide, empty streets never had any cars on them, but were instead filled with people practicing their lines or teaching one another dance steps. Her father would have loved it. So are you an actress or what? I didn't ask, Ginger said. They were standing in front of an ice cream parlor. Elsa recognized it from a Susie and Johnny movie the previous summer. Susie had climbed up on the roof and sung a song. When she was through, she'd slid back down the striped canopy into Johnny's waiting arms. There was something magical about being inside a place like this, a place where glamour and imagination mattered more than what you'd been called since birth. I know you're not a dancer. Ginger was kidding her again, but Elsa was still thinking about her question. Yes, I'm an actress, Elsa said, except the, that the moment the words were out of her mouth, there on that spot on a street that existed only in the movies, she wasn't Elsa Emerson anymore, at least not all of her. I'm Laura Lamont. Well, okay. Ginger linked her elbow with Elsa's, and they walked all the way back to the daycare room that way, in sweetheart position, a pair. After that afternoon, she was always two people at once, Elsa Emerson and Laura Lamont. They shared a body and a brain and a heart, conjoined twins linked in too many places to ever separate. Elsa wondered whether it would always be that way, or whether bits of Laura would eventually detach themselves, shaking off Elsa like a discarded husk. She thought of the butterflies that floated around her mother's garden all summer long, their gracefulness belying the fact that they had so recently been another organism entirely. Change was possible as long as one was willing to stick that first wing out of the cocoon. 
I'll stop there. Thank you. I am happy and scared to answer your questions. <laughs> or I can just keep talking. Yeah, hi. Thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I was just wondering what was the inspiration for this book? Was it something that you'd been thinking about for a long time? Was something just came to you? What, what was the... Um, it's a little bit morbid, but the initial idea came from an obituary that I read for the actress Jennifer Jones, um, who I wasn't really familiar with, um, but I read her obituary, and I, I was working on a, another book at the time, a novel that wasn't going very well and it was just it was really boring and nothing happened and it was just like people at a party talking for like 300 pages terrible and I read this obituary and it was like you know four paragraphs long and it had so much drama like so much happened in this woman's life that had been condensed to these tiny little paragraphs and I thought oh there there's my novel. You know, it's it's dramatic. It's got highs and lows, and um, it's glamorous, and it's about the movies. I love the movies. Um, so that, yeah. The other book sounds like an LA story. <laughs> yeah. Lots of parties with people talking. Yeah, it was it was a New York version of that. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> yes, do. Um, so after reading the obituary and starting on the book, did you try to find out more about her, or did you try to find out nothing? I, I, I found out nothing. I found out as little as possible because I didn't want it to be about Jennifer Jones. I mean, that seems weird and creepy. I, I, you know, I, I wanted to write a novel. I didn't want to write um, like a thinly veiled biography of, of someone. Um, there, are, there are, you know, points at which their stories overlap. Um, but, but yeah, no, I wanted to stay away. Yes, Eden Lepucky. Hello. Hello. <laughs> you're you're taking my anecdote. Come on. <laughs> I, just, I read the book and there's a lot of beautiful stuff about acting. I haven't acted, but it sounds pretty right on. So I wonder, do you feel like writing and acting have like similarities, or how did you come up with the idea of how an actress would present her? Yeah, I, I mean, I try. I don't. My brother might remember that, what, like uh, in the very late '80s, when I was like about eight, nine years old, I. Yes, there were the new kids on the block, but we're not going to talk about them right now. But please, <laughs> I was also in a band called the New Kids on the Block, which is what my brother's trying to tell you. Um, uh, I did want to be an actress, and I bought this book called "So You Want to Be a Star," and I underlined it and folded down pages, and I went. I had some acting classes. I took acting classes at two of the best acting schools in New York City. I went to one acting class at each place and was like, ew, this is not for me. Um, I went to one open audition for a Michael Keaton movie. I did not get the part because it was for Michael Keaton's daughter and 
this is probably not what Michael Keaton's daughter looks like. Um, but that is not your real question. Your real question is um, about acting and writing. I do think that they are very similar. Um, I think that they're both about sort of inhabiting other lives and other personalities and other realities. Um, don't you think? I mean, I think that... So really, everything I say about being an actor is really how I feel about being a writer. Yes, hello. Um, I was wondering, I had a point of view question, why you decided to go with like a close third person mm -hmm. versus the first person. Yeah, well, because I wanted, I mean, even though I... Even though I knew it wanted, I wanted it to be really, really, really close to her perspective, I still wanted the option to back away. And I thought that it suited the form, just because it covers so much time. Like, the book starts in 1929 and ends in 1980. And I don't know, for some reason it felt more, um, I don't know, it just felt more natural to me to, to write it in the third instead of in the first where you could be like and then she's looking in the mirror and she, I don't know like I, I I felt like that would be too close looking at her pores and such <laughs> yes ma'am um, I know that you came out here to do some research and stuff I'm wondering um, a what kind of cool things that you found out about the studio system that you didn't know that made it in or yeah. that you didn't make it in that yeah you yeah um, there are, are I came out on a few different research trips. I took a, a couple of really little ones and then I did a house, my husband and I did a house swap for a month last summer where we did, we, we did a lot of research. We did a lot of research on how to make guacamole <laughs> and how to swim in a swimming pool. Um, but, sorry. Um, there were a lot of things. I mean, everything I learned about, everything that is in here that is about the studio system is what I learned on those trips because I knew nothing. I mean, I knew, I'd watched Singing in the Rain. Um, I had seen All About Eve. Um, you know, I'd seen Citizen Kane. I don't know. I mean, I hadn't, everything I knew was about about movies was from movies, which is a good place to learn some things, but not a great place for actual facts and figures. Um, so, uh, ev I mean, everything I learned is, everything in the book is what I learned on those trips. But, the, of course, there were a thousand details that I couldn't squeeze in. One of my favorite things that I learned, which was at Paramount, I think, um, was they have this giant parking lot. I mean, to people in Los Angeles, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's like to people in Los Angeles, it's this stuff isn't even doesn't even seem that cool and weird. But to a New Yorker, it seems really cool and weird to me. Um, they have this gigantic parking lot that's painted blue and it's it's pitched <laughs> and when they need to, they empty they take all the cars out and they fill it with water and it looks like the ocean. <laughs> I, I mean, everybody who's from LA is like, yeah. So, I didn't know that. Um, there were a lot of things like that that I'd learned. Where I was just like, you know, taking notes furiously next to like these Italian tourists who are really only excited about seeing the people from Glee walk by. <laughs> Any other questions? <laughs> Sorry. Yes, David Scow. Will you sign my book? Yes, I will sign your book. Is that a trick question? Yes, Robin. Um, so, was there so something to the alliteration of the names? Um, you know, Elsa Emerson, Laura Lamont. Was, 
were you trying, you know, what was your thought process behind that? Someone pointed out to me the other day in an interview that um, <laughs> that Elsa Emerson would have been a perfectly good name for a movie star. <laughs> it's like, I guess so. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I did it on purpose. Um, I liked the way they sounded. I wish I could say that I had, I had a, like, that there was some really smart reason why I did that. Um, people have also pointed out to me that Laura Lamont sounds a lot like Lena Lamont from Sing in the Rain. Um, but I, you know, I wasn't even thinking about that. I just thought, I don't know, my mother-in-law is named Laura. I think it's a, I think it's a very beautiful name. <laughs> I don't know, I mean, there, there isn't really a good reason. Yeah, Jennifer Jones is too. I don't know, it just sounds like a movie star. Yes, Kaylin. Um, what are you working on now? I am working on a novel. Um, so remember that boring book I was telling you guys about? <laughs> <laughs> so that boring book um, was um, a novel that featured these characters, um, Franny and Jim Post and their whole family. And I took some parts of the boring book out and I made them into stories that are in other people we married. Um, and the new book I'm working on is about them on a family vacation in Mallorca, Spain. Um, <laughs> somebody's got to. <laughs> I don't know why other novelists don't have this method. I mean, I think it's a good method. I want to go to Spain. Um, so, yeah, I assume that Rafa Nadal will also offer to teach me how to play tennis. These are just things that I think will probably happen. Um, yeah, but I mean, what I really wanted to do with the next book, since this, since Laura Lamont covers so much time, I really wanted to do something super condensed and tight and where there's a lot of funny stuff happening back to back to back. Um, and to sort of challenge my brain in that way. Because, I mean, it was certainly a challenge for my brain to imagine this, you know, this whole life. Um, and I want to do the opposite. I want to force myself to be really concise and see what happens when they're all stuck in the same house together for two weeks. We'll see. I mean, it's coming out in 2014, so I have to figure it out before that. <laughs> um, should we do... You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.